the last seven days, I have gotten more messages, more texts, more comments about the series that we're in currently that have in our 10-year history. Our live feed last week was by far the most watched feed we have ever done. By Tuesday of this week, our podcast was the most viewed, our most listened to podcast. And it's amazing what happens when you're willing to be firm and stand on truth. Someone told me, they said, you seem very passionate about the subject that we're talking about. And let me make this very clear to you today. There's not a subject that I am more passionate about than the subject of masculinity. There's a war that is going on for the battle, for the right, for the soul of masculinity. And I believe with everything that is in me, men are losing that battle. I I live by the conviction when I moved here 17 years ago and started the other church that I was part of. I I live by this conviction with every business that I do. I, I live by it in everything that we do here. If you reach the man, you reach the family. It is that simple. As the man goes in the family, so is the family go. But there's nothing that makes the devil shake in his boots. And someone asked me, they said, do you really believe that there's a devil? I believe in order for there to be a God, there has to be a devil. In order for there to be good, there has to be bad. I'm smoking what I'm selling when it comes to the enemy. And I believe the enemy wants nothing more than destroy families. Because when he destroys families, he destroys a nation. And the way you destroy a family is by going after the man. And make no mistake about it, at this time the devil is winning that battle. There's nothing worse. Let's just be honest. There's nothing worse you can be in America than a straight man. We've been made out to be the devil. We've taken masculinity and we've lumped it, not we, but society has lumped it into toxic masculinity. Do I think that there's some quality traits of men that are toxic? 100%. But do I think every trait that God laid out, do I think any trait that God laid out when it comes to masculinity and it comes to manhood is toxic? Absolutely not. But we live in a passive world. We live in a world that no longer wants to stand and fight for anything. And therefore, as it's so obvious, they're falling for everything. And they're attacking men. Let me make this very clear to you today. This is a hill that I'm willing to die on. There's not many hills that I'm willing to die on. There's a lot of things that we do around here. If we do them, we do them. And if we don't do them, we don't do them. And at the end of the day, man, we'll go as we feel best God leads. But this is one of the hills that I'm willing to die on. Biblical masculinity. I'll literally shut the doors before this quits being a message around here. Let me give you some stats to back it up. I read these stats this week. It says, when a mother comes to Christ, when a mother is the first one to enter into faith in a family, her family will join her at church 17% of the time. When a dad comes to Christ first in a family, the family will join and follow suit and live the life the best they can of a Christ follower 93% of the time. As the man goes, so the family goes. There are 113 million men over 15 years of age in America. 69 million of those will never put their faith in Christ. 
When asked why they want nothing to do with the things of Christ, they look at men who are involved in Christianity as weak, as passive. Society has turned them into. Hollywood has turned Christian men into Ned Flanders. Good googly gook, I just praise Jesus. Most pastors in most stages across the country standing on stage are the most feminine men inside their churches. They don't know what it's like to have to put in a hard day's work. They don't know what it's like to have to fight. They're so busy sitting on their cemetery, I mean seminary degree, and they feel they're more educated than anyone else. They're out of touch with reality. And as the man goes, so the family goes. And as the leadership in the church goes, so the church goes. 95%, that's a staggering number, 95% of men say they don't have male friends. The average church in America is 61% women, 39% men. And we wonder why the church is so ineffective, and that's not me saying anything negative about women. Let me make this very clear. Action Church doesn't exist without the women of this church making it happen. Not minimizing womanhood. I'm elevating manhood. We live in a culture that says everyone's equal. Let me make this very clear. Men and women are equal, but they're not the same. Things that are different are not the same. God designed women for specific roles and specific characteristics, and we're going to get into that day. And he designed men with specific characteristics. And the problem is we always allow the pendulum to swing to the extreme in either way. So what happened 20, 30 years ago is men were the leaders and they became dictators. They became leaders because of title only, not because of their actions. I laugh how men say, I just want a godly biblical woman, but they're anything and everything but a godly and biblical man. But then the pendulum swings the other way, and now men have become passive, weak, and they don't want to talk, and instead of men fighting for biblical manhood, they've retreated. They've been beat so down, they've told how worthless they were, how we don't believe in them anymore, and how they're not needed, and they become a shell of what God designed men to be. On any given Sunday in America, there are 13 million more women in church than men. When men came back from the war, the women had moved into the factories and the women had moved into the church because they had to keep the country running. The men went back to the factories and left the church to the men. And most pastors get up on stage and they're so afraid of scaring the women that they don't preach truth anymore. Someone left last week and they said, man, that wasn't the Mother's Day message I expected to hear. And I said, good. I said, but when your husband comes back next week, and oh, by the way, he's back this week. I said, you'll thank me for last week's message. Sorry, mom, that you didn't come and your husband didn't come once a year like he always comes with you. And you got to hear about how great motherhood is. He's heard that the last eight years that he's come to church with you. How about somebody get in his face and preach truth to him and tell him to man up to get the testicular fortitude for you people from Pickens County, that's balls, to stand up and be the man God created him to be. 35% of married women who attend church this morning will do so without their husbands. 90% of American men, this is staggering, and this will show you that the problem is not God, the problem is the church. 
90% of Americans believe in God. Five out of six men in America will call themselves Christians. But only two out of six feel church is relevant to their life. 80% of male students will drop out of church by their senior year in high school. For every 10 men that are in church... Now remember, it's only a small percentage that are actually in church, but check this out. For every 10 men that are in church, nine will leave the church, 90%. Because they found the church lacking. The church not challenging them. Men are created for a purpose. Men are created to be part of something bigger than themselves. Men want to be pushed and they want to challenge and they want to know that they're making a difference. They're warriors and they're barbarians and they're called to do something, not to be passive in the seats. Nine will leave the church. Eight will not find their job satisfying. Six will only pay the minimum on their credit cards every month because that's all they can afford. Five out of ten men in church now will have problems with pornography. Four will get divorced. Don't tell me we don't have a crisis when it comes to manhood in our country. We have a crisis when it comes to manhood. The problem is nobody wants to talk about it for fear that will make the women mad. 85% of church volunteers are women. Let the women do it. Man, women get a raw deal, don't they? Think about it. Used to be the man at least, at least what he brought to the table was he was the provider. Now most men can't provide enough for their family that their wives have to work. And I am not anti-women working, so let me make that very clear. My wife works. So don't go home and say, Gary's anti-ladies. Don't go home and say, Gary said it's not right for me to work. I'm quitting my job. (laughs) But women go to work now. Men go to work. The men come home and they're done for the day. What a great deal. The women come home and because they're the woman, it's their duty. They got to cook dinner and clean the house and take care of the kids. And volunteer at the church and do all the things that got to be done while the man just sits there in his tidy whities and his, uh, his wife beater that's too small watching sports and wonders why he can't get enough from his wife at night. It's because she's too wore out doing his job and her job. Somebody say amen. I told you I'm preaching the men, but women, you'll like it too. So excuse me if I get a little fired up about the subject. We've neutered men. And it's ridiculous. We raise boys to be good little boys instead of warriors. And the problem is we raise boys to be women basically because women are the ones raising them. I'm going to repeat that for those of you that got offended by that. We're raising a generation of boys not to be men, but to be women. Because even most of the time when it comes to married women, they're the ones doing the raising. And women are great at nurturing. And they're great at knocking the boo-boo off your knee when you fall. and Great at letting you whine. And women are great at letting the little boy never fail. But they need a man to come along and tell him to spit on that knee where he fell. Tell him it'd be okay that he failed. 
When he starts to get emotional because he messed up and he's a man to get in his grill and tell him to be a man. Women, baby boys. Boys need to be raised to be warriors. I think the saddest verse in all the Bible is found in Ezekiel 22. God says, so I sought for a man. God's about to destroy the country. And he said, I sought for a man. It doesn't say he sought for a hundred men. It doesn't say he sought for 50 men. It doesn't say he sought for 10 men. He said, I sought for a man. I don't understand the Bible. It's really complicated. A man. Uno. One. One. He said, I'm, and you know what's funny is Ezekiel, the prophet of God, is writing this, and he's in the country. God looked at Ezekiel and found him lacking. He said, I saw for a man among them who would make a wall, who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. God said, I was just looking for a man. I was willing to, to look for somebody with convictions. I was looking for somebody with purpose, someone who's willing to fight when a fight is necessary to fight. Oh, by the way, that's another key to being a man, fighting when there's a need to fight, not fighting just to fight. So I sought for a man among them, and I found no one. I can't help but think God looks across our country today, and he said, I'm looking for some men. I'm looking for some savage gentlemen that know how to treat a woman, but also know how to protect a woman when the time comes along to protect her. I'm, I'm looking for a man who's willing to do whatever it takes. What's the old saying? I said it last week, better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. I was looking for a man. Now listen, I, I know we're talking specifically to men in this mis- message. We're talking about being warriors, but I want to make it real clear. Women can be warriors too. Some of you women dealing with what you call a man makes you a warrior. Some of you women have had to put on the battle armor of a warrior because your man's too busy doing things he shouldn't be doing to be the warrior. Some of the strongest, bravest, most fierce warriors are not men, they're women. Make no mistake about it, some women can throw down. I've seen some of you women at this church throw down. But we're talking more to the men for a couple of reasons today. First of all, the men need it. Men need it. No one will tell them the truth. You know the great thing about preaching a sermon is it's a one-way conversation. Because if I had this conversation, a two-way conversation, you'd be arguing with me right now. You'd be wrong, but you'd be justifying your actions. You'd be defending. You'd be coming up with excuses. And really what you would be doing is you'd be blaming your wife for the fact that you're not a man. So you just got to listen. Now, here's the deal. You know the beautiful thing about listening is you ain't got to agree. You ain't got to come back. But if you never come back, at least you'll hear the truth today. Men need it. Secondly, first of all, men need it. Secondly, I kind of understand men. I don't understand women. No man understands women and all the men said. That's right. Far smarter men than me have tried to figure out women. 
I think women like to keep it that way. They pride themselves on the fact that we can't figure them out. But men need encouragement, and I'm encouraging you today. It might not feel like encouragement today, but I'm encouraging because I want to see you reach your potential. I want to see your marriage reach its potential. I want to see your parenting reach its potential. Man, we have this amazing thing called life. God, life is amazing. We get to get up every morning and live. And yet the large majority of people are unhappy. They're miserable. They have no purpose. They're bitter. They're angry. They're excuse-making losers. Instead of winning at this thing called life. I'm offended right now. Well, that's probably because it applied to you. We need men who are confident, brave. But so many times, and this is a weird thing, and it's hard for us men to accept, so many times our insecurities, that word we don't like to use as men, our insecurities privately scream louder than our faith. We want to be a warrior. We want to be the leader. We want to be who God created us to be. But we have fear of doing that. We're, what, what will society say? What will my wife say? What will my children say? What will people think about me? And men live in fear. So today we're, we're going to look at killing the coward within you. How do we kill that tiny little voice? There's an awesome story in the Old Testament in the book of Judges right about chapter 6. And just to give you a little bit of context, where the Israelites, God decides that this man is going to be the one to go to war with the Midianites who have been oppressing the Israelites. For seven years, the Midianites have been ravaging the Israelites. So he finds this guy named Gideon. And you've got to understand, the people of Israel were very, very, very afraid, and they were scared for their lives. In fact, what's interesting to me about Gideon is, in some ways, he was a man of faith. But he was also a man that operated in fear. I dig that because there's times I'm really bold. There's times I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I should do that. I don't know. He, He battled that internal struggle. If I know this is the right thing to do and I need to do this, but if I do this, what are people going to think? And yet this is the man that God chose to use. He was full of courage and that in his family, he was the only one who believed in the living God. The rest of them worshiped Baal. That's a pretty big thing. Think about the entire family members. They worship a false prophet. So you can imagine that he's worshiping the living God, the ridicule that he's getting, the persecution that he's getting for standing up to God. Yet he was brave and he was willing to stand. But though he was brave and standing up for his faith, in the scripture right here, he's actually hiding from the Midianites because he's fearful for his life. Look what the Bible says. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak. And Oprah, that belonged, Oprah's been around forever. That belonged to Joash. Where his son Gideon, don't miss this, was threshing wheat in a wine press. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. But why was he doing it? To keep it from the Midianites. The wine press could be brought inside. 
Though it was inconvenient to thresh the wheat in a wine press, it was safer because the Midianites might not see him doing it. And if they saw him doing it, he was afraid they would take the wheat from him. So a man of faith, a man willing to stand up to his family in his faith, yet he's afraid of the Midianites taking his wheat. When the angel of the Lord appeared to get it, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I dig this, man. I dig any time an angel's going to speak to you. I am 46 years old and have yet to experience an angel talking to me. Except for you, babe. An angel speaking. And I dig what the angel says to him. Because here's what I know Gideon was experiencing. Self-worth issues. He was beating him. He's hiding. He knows he's not created for that. He's hiding and threshing wheat in a wine press. The wine press did the job, but that's not what it was designed for. And he's doing it out of fear. I mean, he's beating himself up. He has to feel less of a man. You know how I know? Because I've been there and you've been there too. When you know you're supposed to take a stand and you don't take a stand, there's just something in you that knows you didn't do all you should do. When you know the right thing to do, yet you do the wrong thing and you kind of beat yourself up about it. You don't operate in faith at a moment and God delivers anyway and you just feel stupid that you man, why did I ever doubt God? And that's what he's doing. And so Gideon's beating himself up, but yet the angel of the Lord comes to him and here's what's amazing. He doesn't see him as he sees himself. He sees him as God sees him. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's good news for us today. It should be a reminder that God is with us. That God sees us as mighty warriors. You might see yourself by your actions, but God sees a mighty warrior. We identify ourselves by our sin. And God identifies us by our placement. You see yourself as the liar, the drunk, the addict, You identify yourself by your hurt, your habit, and your hang-up, and God comes along and says, I see you for what you can be, and I see you for what you are. You're a mighty warrior. Let me make this clear to you today. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. God created you, and he shaped you, and he formed you, and he made you, and you were unlike anybody else. He made you unique for the calling that he has on your life. You're not junk to God. You're a mighty warrior. That's good news today. Someone else might remind you of what you used to be. And God said, I don't remember that. I I forgot it as far as the east is from the west. I only see you what you are today, a mighty warrior. You don't feel like a mighty warrior. You feel less than a man right now, but God said you're a mighty warrior. No one around you is telling you you're a mighty warrior, but you're a mighty warrior. There's power in words. The biggest lie that we tell our kids is sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Bulls. Crap. Names hurt. Words hurt. Knock on wood, I've yet to have one of my kids say this to me, but I remember when I said it to my mom, and probably every kid here did it at least once. I remember the first time I looked at my mom and said, I hate you. I came home drunk. I came home not following the rules. She's screaming and hollering. 
like she should have probably been doing. And I can replay that over and over and over. The look on her face when I said that. And it's probably coming. It's probably going to be Emily first because she's going to bring, the, the oldest one doesn't bring the boys around. Emily's going to bring one around. And I'm going to do something stupid, like put his head through the sheetrock wall. It is coming. And words hurt. So, Christine, when we got married, I said, here's the deal. I don't care if we're angry, if we're mad. I ain't excuse to say call names. Does that mean we've never called names? Of course we have. Her more than me. But, man, names hurt. But the opposite of that is true. Man, there's power in words to build you up. The angel of the Lord said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's looking at him and saying, you have the heart of a warrior. And immediately, Gideon's insecurities begin to change. He's about to unveil to him his mission that he wants him to go to war. And you're going to see that Gideon ain't totally down with it, but he's going to do it. Because truth has been spoken to him. The self-doubt is beginning to go away. The inner fear is going away. It's amazing to me the power of encouraging someone. It's amazing to me. I, I am very into leadership. I'm very into watching people lead. And I'm very into people that lead in the process of building something. You see me post all the time. I'm really into Deion Sanders right now. He's the coach at Jackson State. He went to this small college, this historically black university, and he's built it up into something powerful. And it's amazing to watch. I, I admire watching, and I like watching the things. And the first thing he did was implement the simple little slogan, I believe. And he wanted those players to know, I believe in you. We've had a losing record for four years. But now here I am, a Hall of Famer, probably the best cornerback ever, who turned down major colleges to come to Mississippi to coach you. And you know why? Because I believe in you. In his first year as coach, they went 11-2, and two, I believe it was. Why? Because someone believed in him. The players didn't change. The mindset changed. How did the mindset change? The mindset changed because somebody believed in them. They no longer saw themselves as not good enough. They no longer saw themselves as outcasts. They saw them as somebody who had been there, done that, and had the, uh, the title to prove it, believing in them. There's power in it. This angel said, you are a mighty warrior. I'm here to tell you today, men, you're a mighty warrior. You might not be fulfilling your duty as a mighty warrior. You might be living the furthest thing away from being a mighty warrior, but you're a mighty warrior. And let me clarify this. Mighty warrior doesn't mean you've got to be some swole, tattooed, angry vet guy. It has nothing to do with being a warrior. I get a kick out of all these life influencers on social media. They're big and they're bad and they're tough. And you know you'd beat their ass in about two seconds if you ever saw because they're all talk. They have the illusion of being a warrior. It's always the guy you got to watch out for. It's always the guy you least expect that'll whoop your tail. The warriors. Killing your inner coward. If you're anything like Gideon, you're going to find those times in your life where occasionally you have faith, but you're full of fear. And that's okay. It's okay. 
Someone asked me, they said, when you step out and do things, do you operate for I operate in fear every single time. Every time I add a new event, I operate in fear. The key is not not have fear. The key is not to allow the fear to override the faith. I would get a little bit worried if I had no fear. Of course I'm fearful. You don't think that I invest tens of thousands of dollars in events and I don't live in fear that it's going to get rained out? Of course I do. That nobody's going to, every event, the night before, it doesn't matter what event it is, nobody's showing up tomorrow. Nope. It's going to be the first concert we ever did where not one person shows up. Of course I have fear. But I've learned to rely on my faith, and I can't allow my fear to override my faith. And my faith has got to override my fear. And the problem with so many of you is you set up in fear, your fear of failure. Fear of not making it. The fear of your spouse leaving. Hey, let me go ahead and tell you something. When you decide to become the man God created you to be and you haven't been the man God created you to be, your wife's going to have a problem with it at first. Take it to the bank. Because you got things out of order. When things get out of order, sometimes it's hard to get them back in order. You got to operate in grace. And oh, by the way, let me go ahead and educate you on this because so many men messaged me this week and said, man, I heard what you said, and I've been stepping up this week, and I'm stepping, and nothing's being reciprocated. It's been four days. You were a sorry husband for 10 years. Think in four days you convince her? She's seen this song and dance, she's heard those words. Right now she thinks you're walking the line because Gary preached it and you're trying to get lucky. I'm just being honest. The key to being a warrior is when you keep on doing the right thing, even when you're not seeing the results you think you ought to see. It's easy to do the right thing when I'm getting all the praise for it. When Christine and I were going through some of the darkest days of our marriage, We both just decided, man, I'm going to work on me. You work on you. And I'm going to do the right thing whether you do the right thing. And she's going to do the right thing whether I do the right thing. I don't do the right thing expecting her to do the right thing. Because that's the wrong motive for doing the right thing. I do the right thing because the Bible says every man must give an account for himself. I don't give an account for her. I give an account for me. She doesn't give an account for me. There was a period three years ago, four years ago. I can't remember. It all runs together. I didn't know if we were going to make it. You know why Kylie just said, well, because he was on vacation with us. (laughs) We didn't think we was going to make it. And I was the one in the wrong. I was done. And I'll never forget her telling me, I'm going to do what I need to do. And you do what you need to do, but I'm going to focus on us. I'm going to focus on me where I can be better for us. That irritated me. About two weeks in, I said, well, I'll show her. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, regardless of what she does. And two people start doing what they're supposed to do individually. It's amazing. You can't help but be drawn to each other together. And they say, man, it changed everything. It changed everything. We never had another issue. 
So about a year ago, then we had another issue. What? We had another issue? Another issue. And guess what we did with that issue? I focused on myself, and she focused on herself, and we did what was right regardless of what the other person did. And guess what? Stronger than ever today, because that's just called marriage. Too many of y'all want to bail. Marriage is hard. Well, no joke, it's hard. Hey, guess what? Life's hard. Life's hard. It's a blast, but it's hard. You think you get out of this marriage, you're going to get another marriage, and that was going to be easy? You don't think that man leaves his dirty underwear laying on the floor either? Of course you don't the first two couple times you sneak him over. He's got to put him back on to leave the house. Truth hurts. Grass ain't always greener. When it's greener, it's because it's not over a septic tank. Life's hard. It's going to be hard with with whoever you're with. I always said, if me and Christine, God forbid, didn't make it, the only way we're not going to make it is something happens to one of us. I don't want to talk about that. That sounds morbid. But something happens to Christine, I'm single. Here's, Here's my new philosophy. You ready? I'm going into every relationship until the newness wears off. The myth and newness, I'm out. Because that's the best rush in the world. When they're flawless and perfect and you're operating on emotion and feelings. And oh my God, this is great. So I figure I got about four days with everyone I date. I'm moving on. I don't want to deal with the the part where it gets real. And then guess what's going to happen? I'm going to grow old, alone, and miserable. And with nothing, because I'm not willing to put in the work. So I might as well put it in the work with her. Nine years. She knows all my quirks. She's hot. She puts up with every idea I have. And who else is going to put up with me? I'm not stupid. Man. Put in the work. I want to give you three truths that will bring out the coward in you. That will kill the coward in you. Number one, every warrior must fight the inner fear of failure. Man, we're afraid to fail. I get it. We don't like to fail. We don't like to lose. We're men. Inside every man is the urge to win. I don't care how bad they've suppressed the urge to win. Even the man that spends 30 hours a week on video games, he's playing on video games to do what? Win. It's just something that is inside of us. The problem is when we're dominated by fear, we can't be all that we can be in the battle. We go into the battle and we're, we're partially prepared and we're partially afraid. And you've got to fight that battle. Look what the angel told Gideon, verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go, oh, I like this. Go in the strength you have. Go. You're going to take these people to war. Now Gideon's about to bust out the book of excuses. He answered her. He said, go in the strength you have. You don't need anything else to do what I called you to do except the strength I already gave you. 
Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of me. Am I not sending you? God said, am I not the one sending you? You want to come at me with your excuses. You want to come at me with your fear of failure. I sent you to do something. Why would I send you to something that you're not prepared to do? He, he's reiterating what we talked about last week. He's saying, go, you've got someone to protect. You've got a kingdom to advance and you've got a battle to win. And I'm sending you out to do those things. He's saying, I've prepared you. You're the warrior I need for this battle. You don't need anything else. You need my hand upon you. So you've got to conquer that fear of failure. And get in instead of saying, God, you're right. I'm out there. Let's go. He starts coming up with excuses. He does the same thing many of us says. Verse 15. Pardon me, Lord. I don't think I heard you right. God, God, what? How can I save Israel? He starts dogging his own little family. My family's the weakest of the bunch. And I'm the least in my family. He said, God, you got the wrong person. I I believe in you, God. Even though no one in my family believes in you. But I'm the one hiding here threshing wheat with a wine press because I'm afraid of the Midian, and now you're sending me to go. My, family, my clan is the weakest, and I'm the weakest of my clan. Meaning if my clan is the weakest and I'm the weakest of my clan, Lord, the way I view myself is I'm the weakest one in this nation. And that's who you're sending? Excuses, man. We start to break out those excuses. And God says, I've given you everything you need. He said, go. Put that last verse back up, Xander, verse 14. He said, go in the strength you have. I shaped you. I equipped you. All those things you went through in life was to prepare you for now. I don't, well, he, God said, I don't call the qualified. I qualify the called. He says, I've given you everything. Go in the strength you have. But, but Lord, I'm not enough. Guys, this is what happens to us when God's called us to lead. We don't think we're good enough to lead. God's leading you to do something. God's promoting you up the ranks. I don't know what it is. Maybe God wants you to step out and chase your dream of doing a business. God, I'm not good enough. God wants you to make an impact on someone else. Like, God, I, I, I'm not the guy, God. I, anybody but me. I'm too afraid of what they'll think of me. And we are a spineless group of men. God, I know that what's going on in the world today is wrong, and and, and we justify, what's me making, what what is me being vocal about it going to change it? Maybe you being vocal about it will encourage someone else to be vocal about it, who encourage someone else to be vocal about it, and down the path somebody hears that vocal and says, but I'm going to take action, and it all goes back to how you said something. Problem is, we'd rather stay silent. Let me tell you the big buzzword. The silent majority. How'd that work out? Be careful when the silent majority rises up. Well, they ain't rose up. Because they're silent. They're afraid of getting canceled. 
They're afraid they might lose their business. They're afraid they might get blackballed. You know something? Every time I've been vocal, my business just grows. Every time, does it not? Every time. You know why? Because the world's looking for some men to step up and lead and say what needs to be said. It's funny since that every time you post, you get 100 comments. No, every time I post, I get 200 private messages from people that don't have the backbone to post publicly. Thank you for saying what we were thinking. You say it then. But your fear of failure. And I'm not saying, you listen, you don't got to go to every fight you're invited to. I'm trying to learn that. <laughs> trying to learn it. I told you a warrior knows when to fight and when not to fight. I like to go to all the fights. I'm getting better. I made a long post this week and deleted it four times before I posted it. I'm growing. I'm learning. God tells you to share your faith with someone. I, I, I don't talk religion. Well, you'll talk about everything else. You'll talk about the hot chick on the other side of the office. You'll talk about the football game. You'll talk and brag about how drunk you got this weekend. But you won't talk about what God's done in your life. I said this last week, I put on Facebook, it made some people. I said, it's funny what we call a rebel nowadays. Man, he's just a rebel. He's not a rebel, he's a follower. He's a punk like everybody else that neglects his family, doesn't provide for his family, and stays drunk all the time. That's being a rebel? No, that's being like everybody else. A rebel goes against the grain. You want to be a rebel in today's society? Lead your family. Put God first in your life. Listen, lead your, that's called being a rebel. What used to be rebel has become the norm. And what used to be the norm now makes you a rebel. I'm just a rebel. I can't. You ain't a rebel. You're a joke. That's why your wife's cheating on you. And I ain't saying your wife's cheating on you. I'm talking about the guy who said this to me. Your wife might be too. I don't know. But Lord, Lord, God's leading you out of a lifestyle that you're in. And you ain't got the back because worried about those friends. Your friends are going to get mad at you because you're getting your act together and becoming successful. They weren't your friends to begin with. we got a weird understanding of what friendship is. We think because someone's been in our life 20 years, they're, they're, they're our friends. That just means they've been in our life for 20 years. Some of you do real good to examine your friends and cut the weak links and add high-quality people in those weak links and be surprised how your life changes. That's my boy. Well, your boy's a bum who's never done anything, and he's rubbing off on you. So if you want to be like your boy, you keep on hanging out with your boy. You ain't got to like it. The truth hurts sometimes. Some of you are grown men who still act like kids, and you didn't get a wife. You think your wife's your mama. And your wife has to be your mama because you ain't a man. He said, I sought for a man and I couldn't find one. Why? Why are there no men? Because they're worried about the fear of failure. Let me educate you on something. You're going to fail in life. You're going to fail in life. I had a man call me about two years ago. He was going for his doctorate degree. And he wanted to do his dissertation on me. I said, you want to do your dissertation on me? What do you mean? He goes, I I just never seen what you've done. I said, what do you mean? 
He said, you literally lost everything. And in the concept, I feel like if you learned anything, you learned that failure is not fatal. It's not. It sucked. It was painful. I don't ever want to do it again. But an amazing thing happened when I lost everything. The sun came up the next day. And then it came up the next day. And though I probably wished I was dead, God wouldn't kill me. And then an amazing thing happened about 30 days in. All the bills that I had before I fell started showing up. And they didn't care that I'd fell. They wanted their money. So I had two choices. I continued to live in this basement and not shave and not go out into the see the public. Or I can man the hell up and get all my feet. I'm 33 years. That was a long time ago. It's 13 years. I said, I'm 33. And not let a mistake at 33 define the rest of my life. Failure's painful. Failure is not fatal. I still do things that fail. I don't brag on the things that fail. Most of y'all don't remember. Probably the only one who remembers this is Chuck because his band played at it. And it wasn't Chuck's band. I did a, an event at Bowling Park called the Canton Cookout. Drew about 300 people. Where those events normally draw 10 to 12,000 people. I don't know that it drew 300 people. I know that I bought more beer than I sold that day. We lost thousands of dollars. But guess what? We survived. You're going to fail. I tried to do a thing here at the building. Everybody's like, there needs to be a place where everybody can go dance and bring in a DJ. I tried it three times. I think it drew 10 people every time. 10 people. Didn't work. You're going to try some things that fail, but you can't operate in that failure. <laughs> There's power when God's leading you into something. See, there's power in someone believing in you. Men and women are different. Women want to know, do you cherish me and do you value me? That's what most women want to know. Women want to know that you cherish them and that you value them, that you appreciate all they do. You come home and you tell your wife, baby, I love you, and you work so hard, and you never stop. You go sit down. I'm going to go take care of dinner tonight, and I'm going to take care of the dishes. And I'll say this brown chicken, brown cow in the house because you made them feel cherished and valued. Men don't care if you cherish and value us. We don't. We're wired differently. We want to know, do you respect, admire, and believe in us? You can tell me all day you believe in me and it's cool and I dig it. You let Christine come along and be like, hey, this event's going to be great. I know it's going to be great because you're in charge of it and I believe in you. Hold cow, man, I'm ready to go. Because the one I'm doing it for now believes in me. Ladies, you need to do a better job of believing in your spouse. He ain't giving you a reason to. I get it. I get it. Sometimes you've got to fake it till you make it. I'm just telling you. I get you don't believe in him. I get that he's let you down every time. But there's nothing worse than your husband setting out to do something and his wife being like, you need to be more like so-and-so. 
Did I ever tell you the story of the time I went through Ingalls? About five years after I lost my church, and I'm walking through Ingalls, and I see this couple that used to go to my church, and I nod my head at them and say, how are you guys? In the middle of Ingalls, F you. I said, okay. I said, man, bad day? Oh, bad day. I've been waiting five years to run into you. So I'm thinking, oh, shit, here we go. Literally, we're at the Ingles. There's a drinks, and they got froze, I mean, energy drinks. It's the only grocery store that sells energy. And I was thinking, man, I could pick, it's a big old dude. I, mean, I could pick him one of these energy drinks and bash this dude in the head. But I don't know if he's going to swing or what. Like, literally, this is what's going through my mind. I said, man, I get it. It's been five years, but I get, man, I let a lot of people down. And he goes, whole time I went to your church, I had to listen to my wife tell me why I couldn't be more like you. And you were a fake. And he went on. I looked at him and said, man, you're right in everything. Sorry that hurt you. I started to walk away, and he pushed me. And I was like, turned around. And I deserved to be pushed. It was what I wasn't deserved to be hitting that because he swung. It was going to be on. And he was probably going to whoop me, so I had to, like, take the knee out quick. But I said, man, are we going to do this right here in Ingalls? No, I just want you to know I think you're a piece. And I said, I get it. And I walked away. Do you know why that man was bitter? Because his wife had poured into his life. Why can't you be like the guy on stage who's only telling you the good parts of him every week? You think I was sharing the bad? That's why you get all the parts of me. And I don't want anybody wolfing me in Ingles. <laughs> Ladies, you need to encourage your spouse. Encourage your husband. If anybody ought to believe him, it ought to be you. That doesn't mean, now hear me out, hear me out, hear me out, because Christina's taught me this. That don't mean you can't question him on things. When I go to my wife, I hey, here's what I'm going to do. Bam, 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 bam. Here's a new idea. Bam, 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 bam. I'm going to put the house up for mortgage, and we're going to take the second mortgage, and we're going to do this, and I'm going to throw everything that we have in our savings into this idea. And she's like, okay, let me ask you some questions. Now, she used to be like, uh, no. She used to get all mad. I used to say, then what's the natural reaction from me? I get mad. Now she's learned to ask questions. And she's sneaky like a witch in that area because most time the questions convince me it's not a good idea. Women are smart. But I know she believes in me. I came to her with an idea recently. She said, oh, yeah. I said, I said, I said but what I'd probably do is I'd probably take all the money in the savings. I said, I might take the equity in our home to do this idea. Okay. Tricking me right now? You know why that idea hasn't died off? No matter why it's continued to grow in my mind, no matter how I have to go about doing it? Because she believes in me with that idea. Could the idea fail? Mm-hmm. What would I do if it failed? We'd start over. Only money. Been there, done that. Quit operating in fear of failure. Men are wired different. Women want to be cherished. Men want to be believed in. See, the problem with men... And I'm not trying to whine here. I've got to wrap this up. I'm on the first point. I'm not trying to whine, but I'm saying so many men, all men, are judged by their latest accomplishment. It's unfortunate. It is. Every day. If you're a car salesman, how many cars sell yesterday? I'm guilty. I call Bubba Martin every single day. How many cars did you do yesterday? Uh-huh, three, how many are you doing today? Like, latest accomplishment. 
It's funny, well, my vendors right now, I am the king promoter. You know why? Because it didn't rain this spring. Every event was sunny. But guess what? I was last year. My last event of the year literally flooded at a water park. So I went through four months of, man, I don't know if I'll do Gary's events anymore. I don't know if I want to go to his. The last event was a watch because you know, I control the rain. I know that some of you think I'm God, but I don't. But that's what we do. We, we judge men on their latest accomplishment. The last time they got a victory. And so men feel like they've got to prove themselves every single day. And every single day we live with the fear of failure in the back of our mind. And we just need some encouragement along the way. The warriors in your life, ladies, the, the brothers, the men, the, the men who are fighting for you, they need someone to come along and believe in you. Now, I'm not saying if you don't believe in him, that, that that's not an excuse for him to do whatever he does wrong. Because again, we're, we give account for ourselves. But we've got to face that fear. What is it you're afraid of failing in? Falling short? Appearing weak? People not respecting you? I don't know what it is, but you need to figure it out. Figure out what's the thing that makes you afraid. And turn that over to faith. That's the first step. The second step, we've got to get out of here. I'm hungry. You need to realize that in Christ you have everything you need to fight and win. You know how you fight the coward? It's just realize you don't fight on your own. You fight with Christ. If you do it on your own, you're going to be in trouble. Every time I take off on my own, it is not good. I'm so glad that God uses idiots and fools. The more I rely on him, the better it turns out. Man, you can't even find... We're at the outlets yesterday. Christine's got a little backpack thing on. I shove my wallet in the back pocket. I go to another store, get something. We go to the next store. I said, here, let me unzip your thing and get my wallet. I said, I can't find my wallet. Literally, I'm telling you the pocket's this big. I said, my wallet's not in here. She goes in freak-out mode. I'm not really worried about it. I'm just like, oh, it's got to be at the last place. She's pulling out of the cards, throwing them down. I can tell she's freaking out about the wallet. It's got all the business cards. Who cares? She lays it down in front of her pocket. She goes, freaking wallet's right here in the pocket. Right where you were just looking. Open your eyes. We can't find our own car keys in the morning. So how do you think you're going to do something without God? You couldn't get dressed in the morning without your wife telling you your clothes match. You better be relying on Christ. Look what he said. The Lord said to him, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? New Testament says we have everything we need for life and godliness. Go in the strength you have. Save Israel. Am I not the one sending you? Gentlemen, I I told you this last week, God's given you you someone to protect. He's given you a kingdom to advance. He's given you a battle to win. And you have everything you need to do that through Christ. You just got to have faith that he's in charge. 
by the power of the Lord, God guiding your steps, walking in His Spirit, following His wisdom. The problem is, we, here, here's what we're guilty of. We're guilty of blazing our own trail and asking God to follow. Instead of saying, God, where are you blazing a trail? People tell me all the time, you always got a new idea. Always have a new idea. Always. And I pursue every one of those ideas. Don't miss this. I believe in every one of those ideas. I'm passionate about every one of those ideas. I think every one of those ideas is phenomenal. And I chase them with everything that I have until the door shuts on that idea. When the door shuts on that idea, I don't get angry. I don't get upset. God shut that door. Because some of you pray for God to open doors. I don't pray for God to open doors. I said, God, I'm going through this door. If you don't like it, shut it. He's broke my nose a couple times shutting that joker. Man. You've got it. It's, it's, it's all right here. You, in the power and the strength. And he's going to make sure he gets the glory. Look what he says. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel would boast against me. Now, Gideon's already nervous about going to war. If you go back and study, you'll see he had about 32,000 men. He didn't think 32,000 of them. God says, that's too many. He said, I want you to cut some of those men. Because if you get a victory with 32,000 men, y'all are going to think y'all did it and I didn't do it. I dig that. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. 10, so he said, hey, they all look tough on the outside, but ask them if any of them are scared on the inside. The ones that are scared, tell them to leave. 22,000 out of 32,000 were scared. Now Gideon's freaking out. Mark, he had 32,000, and he was nervous. Now he's got 10,000. He really freaking out. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Hey, God is not a God of suggestions, by the way. So Gideon took, Gideon, Gideon, Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as the dog laps from those who kneel down. He said, those who don't know how to drink water, get rid of them. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to war. The ones that are lapping up the water are the ones I want. God said, I don't want them. Get rid of them. Gideon's like, at 32,000, God, and I was nervous. You got rid of all the ones that were afraid. I'm afraid, God. 22,000 left. Now we're, we're judging them how they drank the water? 300 of them drank from cupped hands. All the rest I got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300. Hey, God! Got a question. We had 32,000. I didn't think we had good odds. You got rid of 22,000 of them, God, because they were chicken. 
They really weren't any chicken, God. They were willing to fight. They just were fearful on the inside. You still got rid of them. Now 9,700 of them in your mind drank water wrong. You want me to go to war with 300? You know why God wanted him to go to war with 300? Because God wanted to make sure he had the glory. Let me tell you something. If the dream you have and the battle you're thinking and the passion you're chasing is so big or so small that you don't need God, it ain't big enough. I joke all the time about this place right here. Church in the ghetto. Let's let's just be honest. This place is a dump. It's painted black and we keep the lights turned off for a reason. We show up every week and there's trash cans overflowing. Use condoms in the parking lot. It's, it's a, it's li- if I told you what I saw the other day, I'm not going to. You'd never come back. This is the second time I've seen it. It's, it's a dump. You got about the most obnoxious preacher in town. I love Phil, but ain't no other church letting that rock and roller in Canton. He'd have to start wearing skinny jeans and get his little emo haircut and wear dark rim glasses. It ain't going to work. You think any other church is going to put up a party playing guitar? No. The only reason this works is because of God. I always get a kick when someone new gets added to the offering team and they count the offering. First thing, every time, I don't touch that stuff. Got a question for you. They pull me off the side. It's always serious. Yeah. Just, just concerned. So what are you concerned about? I counted the offering three weeks in a row. Okay. How do we pay the bills around here? That's God's issue. God, I'm writing this check. And if it bounces, we both going to look real dumb, God. And it always works out. God always provides. God's given you everything you need to fight and win. You're just not relying on him for the victory. Man. 300 men, Gideon, we're going to war. And number three, with God, the way forward often starts with a step backwards. Here's what some of you need to realize as you decide to be a warrior. As you decide to step out and be the man God created you to be. God's a God of order. And when you take things out of order, you can't snap your fingers and get it right back into order. As you begin to live the life God created you for, at times it's going to feel like you took a step backwards. Mark my words, you work on your marriage, and both of you look at each other. We were watching someone the other day, and uh, they were talking about how they had separated with some celebrity. They separated, and we're like, how did they separate? It turns out it was an old video. And at the end of the video, she goes, it was at this moment we decided separation wasn't an issue, wasn't an option. We weren't separating. We were going to fight for our marriage. They've been married for years now. Here's the deal. You leave here today and you decide you're going to fight for your marriage. You're going to take a step backwards in your marriage. Sometimes, man, it's pain. Anybody ever try to get their self physically in shape? 
It takes pain. You decide, man, I'm going to be faithful in giving to God. Guess what happens? Everything in your house is going to break at first. It's just life. Man, I'm going I'm I'm to cut back at this, and I'm going to start focusing on my kids in this area. And guess what? All of a sudden, your kids are wanting nothing to do with you. Sometimes you take a step backward. Gideon said, God, I'll fight. And God said, cool, take that 32,000, we'll cut it down to 300. For a minute, it seemed like a step backwards. Sometimes you've got to go backwards to go forward. Sometimes you've got to step back from the crazy to get a better view all around it. Oh, okay. I got it. Gideon had to step back from 32,000 men to 300 men. He, he had to make that move to do that. And God gave him the victory. Look what it says. While each man held his position around the camp, 300 of them. Not 32,000. All the Midianites ran, crying as they fled. Gideon thought he took a step back. He probably had to reassure those 300. It seems crazy. But trust me, God's got this. I'm fearful too, I understand. But I refuse to allow my fear to override my faith. I believe in the living God. My family doesn't. I do. I'm tired of hiding and having to thresh my wheat with a wine press. Today's the day we stand up and we fight. When are you going to get sick and tired of hiding? Sick and tired of your marriage being less than it could be. Sick and tired of your career being less than it could be. Sick and tired of your finances being less than it could be. Got a buddy of mine sent me this long text boom, this week. I was proud of him. But I'll be honest with you, I didn't really respond much. You know why? Yeah, it's easy to be fired up after I fire you up on a Sunday. It's easy to be fired up on Monday 24 hours later. It's easy to be fired up 48 hours later. I like to think I'm good enough where it's easy to be fired up 72 hours later. Let's see if he's still fired up three weeks from now. Now, I believe he is. And I believe in him, and I'm letting him know I believe in him, and I'm encouraging him along the way. But talk is cheap. Because here's what I know is about to happen as he gets ready to be the man God created him to be. The devil about to come along, boom. He's going to land that right out of nowhere. He's going to be staggered for a minute. And then right while he's staggered, the devil's going to come in and going to try to get that uppercut. And the question is going to be, does he let his guard down when the uppercut comes and take the knockout? Or does he shake it off and realize God's in control and put his hands up, block the uppercut, and start fighting back? They say you're never more vulnerable than when you deliver an uppercut and miss. Because you've got to bring your whole body back open, and that's when you... So you can take the uppercut, or you can get out of the uppercut's way and deliver your own punch. Now let me tell you what I dig about it. It ain't my circus, and it ain't my monkey's. So I'm watching from the sidelines. What's he going to do? This is game-changing for him. It's game-changing for him because I got some ideas, and I like to be part of the ideas, but I got to watch how you're checking it. Oh, he just got hit. How's he going to respond? That's good. You know why David's amen? Because I included David in on the conversation with him. He don't even know I let David know about it. He does now because he's listening. 
But David believes in him too. We're praying for him, but we're watching. We're excited. We can't wait for him to get punched. Because I want to see how he responds. And I want to see how his wife responds. And I want to see how you'll respond. Fight. You ever cowered away from a fight? And you regretted it forever? A junior in high school, senior, came up and pushed me down in front of a girl. And I went to jump up and fight, and I saw a teacher, and I walked away. And I reg- I'm not saying this is right, so I'm make this so clear. I regretted it so bad that it ate away at me for almost three years until I saw him one night. I walked up that night, and I cold-cocked him in his face. We were at the Crystal Chandelier. I guarantee he has no reason, he had no clue why I hit him. He don't remember that day. But I did. And it ate away at me. That I didn't fight when I should have fought. Some of you men have not been fighting battles and it's eating away at you. It may, There's no way it doesn't eat away at you. I got to get done. There's no way it doesn't eat away at you. Man, I was going to go into the armor of God and talk about all this stuff you got. Listen, you just need to remember you got the armor of God. Say, I don't understand what the armor of God is. Google it. It's good. It's good. It's good stuff. But you can't lose because you got the armor of God. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. So when the evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. Here's what I'm here to tell you, men. You got to fight to fight. You got a kingdom to advance, and you got a battle to win. And your wife's looking at you to lead. And I'm not putting I'm not putting all your marriage problems on you. I'm not putting all your parenting problems on you. I'm not putting all your financial problems on you. But what I'm telling you is, the people in your life are looking at you to be the man and lead. I did not say to be the dictator and lead. I did not say to be the tyrant and lead. I did not say to be the leader only in your words and not your actions. You want to be a Proverbs 31, you want a Proverbs 31 woman? Be a biblical man. It's that simple. Let me also make it very clear. I am not saying I do all of these things. I fail all the time at them. But stop being afraid to be a man. Do not let the world tell you that you have to be less than what God created man to be. Let's pray.